Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad you joined us today. Just about every time we frequent a business, we are practically hounded for feedback. Businesses urgently want to hear about their service, our experience in their store. I can't eat a piece of chicken anymore without filling out a survey. On a scale of one to five, how was your chicken? How was your crust? I get off an airplane and the email's already in my inbox wanting to know how the flight was. Why? Because businesses know that they cannot thrive without listening to their clients. Now, let's take that into the schoolhouse. I mean, how often are we really asking our students for feedback on their school experiences? Maybe on a program evaluation here and there, the last day of school, we're on the bus and we're never going to see them again. Hope things worked out for you. Um, our guests today are on a mission to change that dynamic. They have a book and a project, and I love both of them, and it's called Let Them Speak, How Student Voice Can Transform Your School. Hey, Rick. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Susie, how are you? I'm I'm fantastic. I'm glad you're here. And I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about both of you. Rebecca Coda, they're co-authors of the book, Let Them Speak. Rebecca Coda is the director of K-6 curriculum and instruction for a district in Arkansas. She's been a K-8 instructional coach, a STEM coach, a technology specialist, Dr. Rick Jetter is a national educational consultant, professional developer. He has been everything you have at a, at a school, a teacher, an assistant principal, a principal, an assistant superintendent, and a superintendent. I'm now out of breath, so let's start the questions. All right, Rebecca, I'm going to start with you. Reading your book, I noticed right away that you and Rick refer to students as clients of ours. They're learners, they're students, but they're also clients. Why does that distinction matter? Well, it really matters because, I mean, you, you keyed in on the word thriving. And if we want to really have thriving students that are invested learners, um, really um, aspiring to their full potential, it, it is a shift. It's a shift in our perspective and thinking. Um, and really, by definition of just looking at the word client, um, it's using the services of a professional, and which we are. Um, but without their feedback, without knowing what they need specifically um, and how we're doing with that, you know, we're just uh, building cookie cutters instead. And, and really, we want to get to that thriving student that's connected with deep relationships. And our business is different um, because we are creating thriving students that want to live a happy life. And um, that's really our ultimate goal. And to get to that, um, we just need to look through a new lens. I love that. And you know, when I was, when I first heard about your book and your project, my first thought was really, Hey, we're doing better at that, which I think we are. But I think I was thinking more about all the push we've had over the last few years to examine their work, gather data from tickets out the doors, look at benchmarks, you know, talk to them about their work, which is super duper important, right? But then when I read your book, I realized, okay, you're talking about a different kind of student data. So help us out a little bit on what that looks like. We do have a lot of those great things going on, and we've got amazing teachers out there that are connecting with students. 
And we're really looking at um, a continuum, just a level of student voice participation, because it, it can't be as simple as a survey, but we're really seeking something greater. We're really trying to look at a cycle of meaningful involvement, um, making sure that we're meeting the needs of the whole child um, and giving them an investment in, in ultimately their own happiness and, and an investment in their own learning. And there's no way to really make that um, deep level of connection and personal relationship and really become a voice activator of deep student voice participation without having them at, right alongside us um, making some really important decisions that ultimately impact them more than us. So Rick, take us back a little bit because I, I, I noticed this when I was looking at your book. Tell us how this whole thing kind of started. Um, and, and, and if you could maybe also include a little bit, you mentioned quite a bit about talking to kids on their own turf. So if you could maybe address both of those and, and where you got, I guess it's both of you, but how this, this whole Let Them Speak project began. Susie, that's an awesome question. I get, I get so excited when people ask me this because it all started when I was back uh, as a principal. And I just started talking to kids and I'd go out. I had a playground right outside my office. Like literally I could open the window and the mulch was right there of the playground. And I would, I would hop out there and just talk to kids. Hey, what's, Hey, what's your school day looking like? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, what can we do better? Tell me about this. Tell me about that. And I, I was addicted to Skittles um, as a principal. I would eat them on the run. I'd, I'd have a bag in my you know backpack. I'd, so I would take Skittles with me. And I know that probably goes against, you know, healthy kids in schools, but I gave Skittles out and had kids open up and talk to me and they were telling me all sorts of things. And I started to use some of that qualitative data for my dissertation at the time. But then aside from that, I thought, wait a second, I have all this qualitative data, all this unbelievable stuff that kids are telling me while we're eating Skittles out on a playground, out on the swings, out on the monkey bars. I'm on their turf, right? They're not in a classroom. It's not formal. There's no filing cabinets and desks. And, and they just started telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, actually, kids, what you're telling me could make our school better. So we started to narrativize what they were saying and have them write a little bit about what they felt. And we used those narratives to change our school. And from there, when Rebecca and I started to work with each other, we decided that one of our missions is to talk to kids, gather data, and have that data make schools better. So it was just a passion project back in the early 2000s, but it, it, just, it just morphed into this unbelievable beast where we started collecting more data and more data and more data, and we wrote a book about it. That's amazing. Do you feel like sometimes to kids, it might feel like they are sort of visitors in our workspace? Yeah. And I think, you know, that, you know, playgrounds, playgrounds are, are just one example of an ecosystem, right? Student ecosystems exist, you know, on an athletic field, in a student council hangout room, in the cafeteria, um, we have a, we had a nice area in our school as a little courtyard where kids would go out and just sit and hang out. And the more relaxed that they feel, right, they, they take away in their mind the formality of education and they just start talking. And sometimes I wouldn't even ask them questions. I would just go out and say, Hey, what's going on? And I'd learn all sorts of stuff that kids felt about their school and their teachers and even me as the principal. 
So good points to make. Skittles and go out on their turf so that they're more comfortable. Yeah, the Skittles. Skittles and turf. I like that. All right. So good, good points there for all of us. All right, Rebecca, what I noticed is in your book are that these are many times, I, I guess, stories that you collect from students, right? How do you, how do you use their stories? Yeah, and we kind of refer to them as vignettes, and um, we can use them a couple of ways. Um, it can just be you have no agenda. You're just hanging out with kids, getting to know kids, um, you know, just asking um, global questions. And sometimes things just emerge inadvertently that you didn't know was a problem, and you would want to ca- capture that um, narrativization um, if it needed to be addressed um, at a later time or if it was something that was a, an impact point at school. But then other times we might go fishing because there is a specific um, issue that's happening um, school-wide. And we just want to kind of get a little bit of feedback inside Scoop, just see see what kids are thinking. And, and we actually, you know, have a, a targeted agenda of a problem that we're really looking to a solution for. So that can go either way. And even as of right before the book was printed, um, coming to uh, Cabot, Arkansas, I mean, the, the book evolved right to the very end of printing of adding those vignettes because we kept getting so many um, powerful stories of impact um, of students. And we just continue to use those in, in blogs. Um, we have a couple on our blog uh, site on letthemspeak.net. Um a student in Missouri, Isaiah Sterling, he leads the We Lead By chat and now hosts a podcast each week. And so these student stories that um, are leading adults to solutions are just absolutely amazing what is evolving into action and change because of these um, student stories. So it's just been amazing. Okay. So since you mentioned that, could you tell us your website again? And and this is a good moment to maybe give us both your Twitter. Absolutely. It's uh, letthemspeak.net. And then I'm at Rebecca Coda and Rick's at, at Rick Jetter. Okay, thank you. And I would love, if you wouldn't mind, could you share, I was touched by several of those stories, but if you could tell us a little bit about the story of Terrence, what he shared with you guys, he's a sixth grader. Could you tell us a little bit more about Terrence? Oh, yeah, my little buddy Terrence, uh, middle school student. And Terrence, uh, kind of a sad story the way it started off when I I was chatting with Terrence. He said, Dr. Jetter, I I want, I want to come to school when we have these days off. And I said, well, what do you mean days off? What kind of days off? Well, you guys have these, these PD days or these superintendent conference days. I'm like, yeah, that's when the teachers get together and we do different activities to learn, to continue our learning. Sometimes we, we participate in collective grading, things like that. And he started to open up about what he saw in the community was teachers going out to lunch for extended periods of time. Um, he would be hanging out at the building because he didn't want to go home, even on his day off. He would hang out on the playground or just kind of sit on the stoop. And when the teachers came back and they participated in some different activities, he noticed that there were some teachers out hanging around in the parking lot. There were some other teachers just kind of chilling in the faculty room. And he wondered, like, what was really going on? And what Terrence did was he wasn't blowing the whistle on teacher misbehavior or anything like that. He was wondering, like, I'm at home from school and I want to be in school, but what are you guys doing that's so important? Like, he just posed a simple question. 
I said, Terrence, let, you know, let's look at this, man. What do you, what do you think we should do? And he said, why can't we help to lead some of these different days? And then that way we could, some of us could come back to school and we wouldn't have to go home. And that just, oh man, it blew me away. And, you know, from that point in time, I thought, how are we activating not just student voice, but student leadership in all aspects of what we do in schools? It's, you know, some issues we think are adult issues and they aren't. We hold, we think that they're adult issues, but students can chime in just as much as and give a perception like anybody else. So Terrence really opened my eyes in terms of how he could exert leadership and to partner with teachers and a principal and an assistant principal and lead future PD days on things that will affect him, whether it's an adult issue in our mind or not. And I'll never forget him. I'll just, I'll never forget that little guy. Isn't that something? And I I was wondering now he opened up to you, but if you have students who are reluctant to, to maybe talk about things, are there methods you found that you could share either of you that kind of get kids to maybe open up with what's going on or what they're feeling about school? Yeah. You know, we, we used to, we used to definitely get kids, right? There's, there's kind of one of three things kids will do when you talk with them in their own ecosystem and on their turf, they'll either open up, clam up, or they're going to run away. (laughs) Right. So we, we wondered like, okay, for the students who didn't really want to open up about anything or were worried about what they would say, how it would be taken, you know, the wrong way perhaps. So we came up with a series of prompts that we used and we even outlined those in our book. Um, And I'll just give you a couple of them, Susie, just typical grassroots humanistic questions like, you know, what do you value the most about school? Um, What could we do better? What what don't we know much about in your life that you would want us to know about? So we just we we came up with a series of prompts that we used in the field, um, and we we felt that would be helpful for for other educators to help jumpstart um, kids who would be a little reluctant. And I, either of you can feel this one, but there was one that I personally connected to, which was the story of Tanya, um, who was an eleventh grader, and I felt like she she provided some lessons that maybe all of us can learn from. Would one of you maybe talk a little bit about Tanya? Absolutely. Um, It's probably my very favorite story um, in the book or uh, plotline from Tanya. She was an 11th grade student um, out of Tennessee. And a lot of times we very easily can make assumptions about students um, or stereotype students without even really knowing that we're doing it. Um, because typically we have these big bleeding hearts and we want to do well for everyone. But Tanya was a student of of high poverty and she knew it and um, there was no hiding it. But her, her big thing is she didn't want to be seen as just poor because she knew she was more than that. And she really wanted her dignity. So there was one particular uh, science teacher, Mrs. Uh, Spiegel, and she really noticed some things about Tanya. Um, One day she had her classroom was in like complete disarray 
And um, she noticed at the back, Tanya was organizing everything, she was color coding things, putting things in neat stacks. And before the class period uh, was over, she looked up and her back counter was just neat and organized back there. And um, so she kind of pulled Tanya aside one day and she's like, you know what? I would love it if you would be able to come in and help me with this at the end of the day, anytime after school, you know, if you have an extra day um, and you want to just come help, I would love to have you in my room. This was absolutely amazing. And she was a very um, aware teacher of her situation and, and was going above and beyond to um, make a connection and a relationship. So she was using her strength as an opportunity. And so after she cleaned up one day, she just casually asked, um, her the question um just they were they were off the clock and she's like you know what i want you to just dream big you're so successful um you know why is it that you're so successful um at school like you're a hard worker you do the work you get good grades um and she said you know what i just don't want people to look at me with pity and sorrow anymore because of my poverty um, because I'm poor. And she said, well, if you could dream big, what is it that you really want? Like, what is it that is going to be really fulfilling to you? And she said, you know what? I just want to live a good life. I want to help other people be happy. Um, and I just don't want people to look down on me anymore. I just want to be able to make my own way in life, make a salary and be able to help other people. And throughout this conversation, the teacher um, was was really drawn in and just writing down some characteristics. And she wrote down keywords like organized, resilient, purposeful, hopeful, smart, thoughtful, giving. She turned the piece of paper around and she slid it across the desk um, to Tanya. And she said, just in our conversation and my observations, these are the things that I've noticed about you. And these are the things that are not easy to teach students. And these are life lessons and qualities that will make you stand out far above the rest. And you already are helping others and you already are making a difference. And so then they just continued with their casual conversation. Of course, Tanya was beaming uh, from eye to eye and, um, they had made a special connection. And so they just kind of made a deal. She's like, Hey, you know, if you want to keep doing this for me, you know what, I'm not, you know, I'm, I can't pay you cash, but you know what, I would be more than happy to get you whatever it is that you need if you're helping me. So if you're giving me this service, I'm going to give back to you. And for the first time, Tanya felt like she had her dignity, that she was seen as a person for who she was inside and her strengths and her potential and what she could be rather than somebody just to, um, kind of pity and um, and help out out of pity, but rather help her help herself so she can help other people in the future. And it was just such a remarkable, flourishing relationship. Thank you so much for telling us about that. And you mentioned a couple of things I want to follow up. You mentioned, you, you used the word plot lines. I wanted you to share about that a bit. And then on these vignettes that you gather, it sounds like they're both conversational, just out on the playground, but are some of these also in writing? Do you have students just write things down for you? What does that process look like? Absolutely. So it would just start with the Skittles on the playground, and sometimes something will surface. And if something surfaces that needs to be looked at by the adults and considered for change, 
Um, then that's when we ask for it to be narrativized. So for some students, we might say, you know what, that was just, you know, oh, wow, I have some other adults that need to hear that too, or I've got some other people I want to share that with. Would you mind writing that down for me? That's probably the very best avenue because you're getting the word straight from the student that could be read in a faculty meeting or a PLC or to to whomever the, the group might be impacted by. To hear those words directly from the students is where this narrativization would come in. For some younger students um, that might not be able to do that, it might just be writing their words down and then um, sharing those words with um, the other stakeholder groups. But the purpose in the writing is really so that the students' words can be read out of the words directly out of their mouth. And, and we're not altering their words in any way. We're keeping it pure to their feelings and schema. So at the end of each of those um, student scenarios, um, we kind of share what the student said directly, and then we deconstruct the situation and uh, break it down into how it um, evolved and transpired into actionable change, whether a classroom or a school or even a whole school district. But probably the most powerful piece at, e at the end of each of those vignettes is the plot line. And that's that inner dialogue of the student where they're sharing those zingers and stingers, just like Terrence, um, just like Tanya. They're telling you what they really thought because they're we're on their turf. They're comfortable. They're trusting. And um, they're re relying on us for support. And they're giving it to us like it really is. It's not sugar-coated. It's not malicious. There's no agenda behind them. But it's that pure thought process that they're thinking. Um, and then... Um, just moving on to the things that we need to consider as as adults, because we're looking through our own lens. We're not always looking through their lens as a student and what they need. Very valuable guidance. And Rick, I know one thing as adults, you know, we're big on programs and education, right? But you two have discovered some interesting information from students about some of the programs we push out, like community service and things like that. Could you share a little bit about what you've gleaned from listening to students about programs? Oh yeah. I mean, right. Susie, it's like policies, programs, right? Well, those are, those are adult issues we think, right? Well, I started to ask kids about their community service because we, we stumbled upon the fact that a lot of schools have a community service requirement before graduation. Well, we started talking to kids and we learned that it became this enormous competition so that they could see who would get the awards at the awards ceremony for the most community service hours. And kids were cheating on their hours so that they can get an award. And it became like this big joke among the students, but yet the adults held on to that so tightly. They're like, oh, we have the best community service program in the nation. Oh, community service graduates. Are, oh, they all serve the community. It was this big joke among the kids because it became a competition that they all mocked and it helped then that school to realize we better look at this. We better, we better take a look at this. We're creating competitive children who are striving for a plastic award. And community service. And <laughs> The irony. It reminds me as a girl, I was in Girl Scouts and I was very competitive and I was determined to get every single badge and it didn't matter how I got them. But I was going to get every single badge on that sash, you know? So uh, I guess we were just, what, going to just, the community service kind of turned into what? The race to get the top grade or something? 
Yeah, and, and again, it seems like such a small issue, right? I mean, we have a ton of issues as teachers and administrators. Mm-hmm. It seems like such a small, but it was a laughing stock in this one school, and it actually helped to change the culture and the whole programming notion about how to serve the community. Okay, so that's fascinating. Um, yeah. And I know on the first po- and Rick at Rick, I got to tell you, Rick has a special place in my heart because he was my very first podcast guest. So on the very first podcast, Rick talks about another program, their anti-bullying program and how they found out. So if you want to listen to more, it was a wonderful podcast. So thank oh, you, Rick. See, yeah, Rick, you were one of the ones that said, I'll do the podcast. I'll just take a leap with you, you know? So. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you a question. This is something that ran through my mind when I was, I was going through this. I, I've somebody has been in I've been in education for a long time. I'm listening to this. And as a teacher, as an educator, am I going to get my feathers ruffled by this? Am I going to, you know, this is something new, you know, we're now we're gathering student voice. So how have teachers responded? How do you lay this out for educators? Like this is going to be just fine. What do do you guys do? It's interesting because we have had um, both um, types of responses. We've had Um, People sending us information, wanting to blog out all the cool things that they are doing with student voice in their classrooms. But we've also gotten a little bit of pushback saying, you know what, it's going to be a hostile takeover. If I turn my whole classroom over to these kids and let them run it, um, there's no way I'm going to be able to keep the kids in control. So then there's this other end of the spectrum of misperception of what that really is. And so through that dissonance, we really try to rein them into keeping it focused on the cycle of meaningful student involvement. If kids are having conversations on their turf, sharing things that um, we need to be considering because it's impacting their learning and education and their future, then we need to really kind of mobilize um, a process. That, uh, we need to listen to them and and validate what they're thinking and move forward. But if it's just like, oh, I need you to stock the, the Coke machine with all my favorite pops in the hallway, then that that's a different story. So we have to really keep things within the context of, is it going to impact um, their education and future um, in school? And Susie, I just, I just want to chime in something. I think Rebecca is making a really good point here. The other part of it of what Rebecca and I work on is we confront our egos, right? I mean, it's like, some people perceive student voices as like, oh, that's treason. I'm the, I'm the teacher with the master's degree or with the doctorate or with, I know better. I know what my kids need. I know what they have to, you know, prepare for, for the exam. And we confront egos, right? It's like, if we're not going to listen to the kids, it's, it's like how you start off this podcast. People want to know about the chicken sandwich and the airplane ride and all this stuff. No one's, you know, sometimes no one asks the kids what they think about How's us. How's the thinking? chicken? How's the chicken? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I noticed in your book, though, you make a good point that this isn't, this is not about giving students everything they want. Right. This isn't Lord of the Flies here. You know, we're not talking about, a, you know, <laughs> no structure here. No, <laughs> it's just about opening up our minds to look at the plot lines that Rebecca mentioned earlier and that you asked us about. There are adult plot lines and student plot lines. And then we think that adults know what the students think. So there are those plot lines. And we have to meet right in the middle where they all intersect to figure this out together. And by the way, Lord of the Flies is my favorite novel. So, okay. Okay. First steps. 
I'm listening to this. I mean, I'm on board and I'm telling you, I've, I've worked a lot with programs where students were not just loving school. You know what? I was always surprised at how kind they were to us. You know, we'd brace ourselves for this feedback and they would write really wonderful things of how much they appreciated everything we were doing for them. And that was the surprise for me is how wonderfully kind most kids are about the people in the building who are helping them. So that's something that I always was touched by. So where do we start? Well, we start off with not biting off more than we can chew. We start with baby steps. And for a classroom teacher, that might be to share a vulnerable story so that your students are having a better relationship with you so that they know that you really want to know what they're thinking and what they're feeling about in their education. For a superintendent or a business official, it might mean going to that dusty shelf where that policy manual is, grabbing it and giving it to a bunch of 11th and 12th graders to analyze and see some of the dumb stuff that we're doing that's written in our policy manuals. I mean, Just start somewhere and start small. That's really kind of how we roll this out. Okay, I gotta, I gotta tout something because Rebecca, I absolutely love what you have put up on my ed expert. Rebecca has these teacher brag tags that's just an open download, guys. You just, Rebecca's on the homepage. Just go grab them. And it's where students give us just some little feedback about our lessons, about what's happening in class. And I just found those so endearing. I've been telling everybody about those. And Rick's got some fabulous stuff from the building perspective of things that are just an open download. So if you want a place to start, that's a great place to start. Rebecca and Rick have actually crafted some resources for you to get the ball rolling on this. I'm going to mention a couple things from my takeaways, and I have two solid pages, so I'm going to try to edit here, and then I'm going to have you guys chime in. One thing that really struck me today is it's really not about surveys. Those are good and some fill-in-the-blank and some open-ended things, but what you guys are doing is really just going out and having conversations, and I love your guidance about start with a conversation, and now maybe you could write that down in your own words so I can share that with the adults in the building. I just think that's magnificent guidance. We're talking about getting students to invest in their learning and their experience in school. And it's about a cycle of creating this meaningful involvement with our kids. And we started with this idea of students as they're they're learners and they're children, but they're also kind of like our clients, aren't they? I got to check in with them. How's this working for you? Those are some of my big takeaways today. So you guys want to each add one or have at it? I would just say just to piggyback on to that um, on letthemspeak.net, and we can share it with you for uh, my ed expert as well. Um, we have an infographic on the level of student voice participation, and it's basically degrees, starting with non-participation, you know, moving into surveys, and then moving into true participation begins when when we ask them and we actually do something about it. And then the, that highest level really be about um, – them facilitating more and really, truly being um, voice activators and all the way down to, we talked about earlier, those voice mufflers. So I would encourage you to take a look at that document because I do think that it really helps um, you to dial into where you are with student voice and maybe what that next level is for you because we do have teachers that have all different comfort and experience levels with student voice and that might just help nudge that next level. I love that. Rick, what about you? Got a final parting thing here? I think, you know, I, I really believe that student voice is that, that foundational element that leads to total student empowerment. I think, you know, I, I think we, 
we use student engagement as a buzzword. And I think student voice is now becoming a buzzword and I don't want to see it become a buzzword. I think it's a foundational belief system of raising student engagement that if voice is not there, we really aren't going to engage our students 100%. We're going to be, we're going to get a lot of uh, people who just comply. A lot of kids who comply. Well, you know what? I'm going to say that I have been guilty of not listening and and trying to get the student voice. You know, when you're a secondary teacher uh, and you're just you're just the bell rings and another group comes and another group comes and you start feeling like there how could there possibly be more students in this building? You know, it seems like you've taught a thousand kids today, and we tend to get in our loop of we're just pushing through and the next group. And I know that I have felt that pressure of just. You know, I hate to say it, but let's get through the day and I got to get to my last group and I got to quit. I I can't do that, you know, so I've got to make an effort on this. I think that this is a real growth for all of us. And, and I just, I just love your work. I just think it's so, it's such important work to hear our kids. So I've learned so much from you two today. So I don't want to leave any, end any podcast without thanking every educator out there. It is a, it is a challenging job, but boy, is it a wonderful job. The three of us here are all lifelong educators. Thank you for everything you do for your kids every day, bringing possibilities into your room every day. And uh, join us every week for conversations with other thought leaders like Rebecca and Rick. Thanks, guys, so much for joining me. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Susie. You're terrific. All right. Bye-bye, guys. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.